Oh my god, I'm gonna need to get more water in a sec. This is delicious. It's it's water, Connor. It's water. Welcome to ADSP, the podcast, episode 20, recorded on April 2nd, 2021. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host Bryce, we talk about the upcoming GTC 2021 conference and thrust algorithms. Anyways, you were biking too, right? Yeah, I went for uh, 29 kilometers this morning. Nice. Yeah. Did you go on the same route as usual where you uh, yeah. you told me before? Yes. I have done... 1,132 kilometers this year. That's a lot. Yeah, it does feel like a lot. Makes me feel, it makes me feel worse that you went out and did 20K on foot this morning, though. <laughs> I was probably faster than you, though. You probably definitely were faster than me. <laughs> definitely. I, I, took, uh, I, I run by the Toronto waterfront, too, and so every once in a while at the beautiful parts, I'd stop and walk. Cause... How long does 20K take you? uh how long did it take me let's go to let's go to the app it depends but uh i mean today was a pretty average run i wasn't running too fast too slow so yeah 19.35k uh it took me an hour and 33 minutes that, which that's actually is, not yeah that's not bad um it's a four four kilom. it's a four minute 50 four minute 50 seconds per kilometer um so like in a in an actual race I typically am running around like four minutes a kilometer um, or four, like between four and four ten. So when's the last time that I've done like 19? Um, usually if, if I'm at like comes my weekly ride hat, well, my week, my like weekday ride had been just around 19 and a half kilometers. And that takes me like 56 minutes. So you're yeah. not going that much slower than me. That's pretty impressive. Um, you use a, you use Strava to track your stuff um i have a garmin vivo active 3 music uh so it primarily uploads to yeah. garmin but i hook it up so, to strava so, um okay yeah so you use the garmin connect too i also have garmin yeah although i, I, I had to the, the garmin like heart rate monitor like a month ago it just like stopped it, it was like it, it continued reading the sensor but it kept like giving it bad data like it would just be like your heart rate was 72 the entire time you were biking. <laughs> and yeah, I'm like, that's, well, that's, that's just that's not that's, that's not correct. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be and it would be like this this uh, uh 30k hour long intensive bike ride that you did burned 100 calories. <laughs> yeah, that's so definitely uh, yeah. I I just got a I just bought a new one. It goes on my on my arm and uh it uh it works really good. And it's, uh, it's like, I don't even, I, I forget that it's on. It's much better than the, the one, the strap around the chest one. Yeah. I had one of those for a bit and I just really didn't like it. Um, and I've heard that the heart rate monitors when you're running or doing any exercise on like a watch, it's, it's garbage. Um, like it's not very accurate, but I mean, I don't really care if it's off by whatever, five or 10, like relatively, I think it's probably accurate, like, like, you know, even if it's off by a bit, like there's still the relative changes and it produces a pretty graph. Um, yeah, so well, but mind. but for, for me, because I'm biking, I have the heart rate and I also have the cadence and the speed sensor. Um, so like the Garmin stuff, it like 
it factors in all the sensor data to build like a model. Like it, it'll, it can do, if you don't have the heart rate sensor, it'll still like try to compute how many calories you spent, but it's supposed to be like more accurate if it has that. Although apparently the best, the best, the, all the new rage is to have a, a, a power sensor where it measures the actual power that you put into the pedals. We should hop into, I'm not sure if there's any way you want to start this in particularly, uh, I guess sort of I'm in control. Um, but first things we should, first thing we should do, we should plug our, we, we do a terrible job of promoting, or at least I personally do. Like I, I gave two talks in the last month. I don't even think I mentioned the ACCU one. And I can't remember if I post uh, editing, like added in at the end of one of the Sean Parent episodes that I was giving an APL talk. I know I added it to the show notes, but I don't think we ever explicitly. Anyways, the GTC conference is coming up. I'm speaking once. Uh, we're both on the same panel, and I think you have we like two. We should probably th- explain what GTC is. <laughs> we'll, we'll explain in a second. And you have like two or three talks. So yeah, we're not going to spend the whole episode talking about this, but we should we should do a better job of promoting now that we have a quasi platform uh, to tell people about other stuff we're doing. So yeah, you go so first, Connor, and you can what? you can explain you can explain what GTC is. You're the you're no, the. No, I, I think it, I think it'll be more amusing for me to watch you explain it. <laughs> <laughs> so Connor, what is GTC? GTC stands for the GPU Technology Conference. Um, there's a bunch of them that hap- happen globally, so it, oh, I guess that didn't explain anything. It's uh, <laughs> the best way to explain this is like every major tech company has their own uh, conference. Um, so like Facebook has Fate, Google has Google I/O, uh, Amazon. What is theirs called? Reinvent, re colon invent. <laughs> you said um, major tech company and then proceeded to list three companies, all of which are like an order of magnitude larger than our company. <laughs> yeah, that's because we're putting we're putting Nvidia up there. And also, you probably heard my phone in the background uh, when I said Google I/O. Um, oh, it thought you were talking to it. Yeah, it thought I was talking to it. Yep. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, Nvidia. Yeah, we're way, we're we're right up there. I mean, we could so, argue so clarify, that Fang. We that work Fang... at Nvidia. <laughs> we work at Nvidia, and GTC is Nvidia's tech conference. Yeah, I was getting there, man. I was getting there, and uh, that's what I was trying to say. You were taking a long route <laughs> to get there. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to say is that Fang, which stands for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google. I mean. You just give it time, and we could be the new N in Fang. Um, yeah, because yeah. you know what? I got to be honest. Look, any of our listeners that work at Netflix, this is this would be a good time for you to hop off. Like, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know why they put Netflix into that group because, like, one of those things is not like the other of those things in terms of like scale of the number of people that work there like i understand like maybe market cap at one point and like breadth of what they work on like one of those things is not like the other and that one's netflix i think it just uh, helped with the acronym um right right right. that's it i think they they needed they needed they needed an n and i think i mean i mean (laughs) definitely uh m for microsoft would be better but like what are you gonna what are you gonna do with like m what are you gonna no but yeah, yeah, like how the, would you how would you say that? Yeah, so we just Damn gotta we just yeah because uh, yeah. you have two A's you could put the A's on either side of the end. Gamp, gamp, that's what you call it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't roll off the tongue at all. Anyways, so I said we weren't going to spend the whole episode talking about this. Yeah, but that's, yeah, yeah. That's what GTC is, 
And uh, what are you what are you talking about? What what should people? And it's registrations free. It's online. It's a virtual conference. Uh, some of the talks are pre-recorded with the um, the the presenters that are going to be live there answering questions in the chat. Um, and other ones I believe are going to be live. There's both Nvidians that are presenting and industry professionals. And if you're interested in anything AI, machine learning, you know, GPU accelerated related, plus like a billion, there's like a billion tracks. I don't know them all. Um, it's an awesome conference. You should check it out. What are you talking about? Um, I'm giving two talks and there's a number of panels. So, um, in my, my job at NVIDIA, I'm our, uh, one of our architects for HPC programming models. And I, uh, I work a lot with our HPC compiler team. So I'll be giving our, our annual update on all the new and cool things in NVIDIA's HPC compilers. Um, in VC++ and in Fortran. And I was looking through my slide deck, which is now, I just completed it yesterday. I was looking through it and I realized there are more Fortran slides than C++ slides. I don't know how this happened because like I am not a Fortran person. I just have some like very high quality Fortran people uh, that have been helping me out. And uh, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in Fortran. But I was just like, can I give a talk where there's less C++ than Fortran? Like, can I not, not like, can I physically go through with doing that? <laughs> Do you have a slide with the C++ logo and the uh, Fortran logo juxtaposed? Because those are two beautiful logos. You um, would be, you will be very excited about the use of programming language logos in this um, uh, slide deck. And not only programming language logos, but also... Um, uh, logos for um, programming models like OpenACC and OpenMP. I, I, I went very Connor with this route. There we go, folks. You heard it here first on ADSP, the podcast. Uh, you got to go to Bryce's talk. I'm looking forward yeah, to it. It's if, called for folks... Inside NVC++ and NV Fortran. That's the first of your talks, correct? Yes. The um, other talk, I'm giving a talk, oh, it's called just called the NVIDIA C++ Standard Library. And um, it's just going to be about the in- NVIDIA C++ standard library that my team develops. And uh, we got a bunch of exciting stuff that we're announcing at both of these talks. And then uh, I think I'm doing three different panels. I've got one like users forum panel for uh, uh, for our C++ libraries. Then there's one that we've done in past years called Future of Standard C++ of standard and CUDA C++. I think that's it. And then there's another like programming models panel that I'm on. And that's uh, that's what's going on. That's what I got. And you got to talk too, right? I do, yes. Uh, I recorded that, pre-recorded that on Thursday. And it is entitled Thrust and the C++ Standard Algorithms. Um, it's basically... Uh, it's a kind of comparison between Thrust, which is a parallel algorithms library based on the C++ standard algorithms, and uh, it's a comparison between the two. So it's broken up into five sections. The first one focuses on algorithms that exist in Thrust that don't exist in the C++ standard algorithms. So here, actually, 
this is what we're going to do. We're going to turn this into two episodes. Uh, the first one we're just going to call like GTC preview. Um, and we're going to include most of the <laughs> stuff talking about our biking. Because that's what I realized too. This podcast here, I'm going off on a tangent. Uh, this podcast was supposed to be inspired by Magic Readalong. And one of the great things that I love about their podcast is usually each of them are like 20 minutes long. And like the first half of it, they're usually just talking about like barbecuing and like just random stuff. And it's just, just like, it's like listening to two guys in a phone call. And I I realized our podcast has become like quote unquote too polished even though it's i interrupt to apologize for bryce blowing out his mic with his laughter in three two one so far from being like a, po- a polish <laughs> it's it's too if polished Jay- for what i want <laughs> if uh if jason turner and rob the uh the hosts of cpp cast an actual polished podcast from c++ developers uh, hear that they are gonna lose it they are gonna lose it okay uh, all right yeah all right it's 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 more, it's too polished because that's the thing is we usually do sort of chat before hopping into the episode but then a lot of that gets cut um and we just sort of put the highlights in the the, the first few seconds anyways so i'm gonna try and start to include a bit more of that Anyways, back to, uh, so this is, we're just going to do GTC preview, because I was going to ask this in the episode. So let's play a little game, which is a, um, a highlight from the first section of the talk. <laughs> this is going to, I have a feeling this is going to be a game which embarrasses me, the <laughs> primary, like, tech lead for Thrust, uh, about my lack of knowledge of the thing for which I am tech lead. <laughs> yeah, we can. We, oh, actually, actually, I'm not even technically really the tech lead anymore. I've handed that off to um, somebody else on my team. It's yeah, great. You're, you're... Like, like all the things that I used to be tech lead for, now I have other people that are tech lead for them. Um, and I'm just sort of like meta tech lead. It's wonderful. Meta tech lead. I like that. So so we'll actually, we'll play all three. So this will be a, sort of, we'll spoil uh, uh, the talk, the first section of the talk. But there's four other sections that talks about um, awesome things in Thrust. So uh, people will still want to tune in. But so there's there's three problems in the first section of the talk. Um, that I use to sort of motivate. I put the 20 algorithms that exist in Thrust that don't exist in the C++ standard algorithms. And then I show three problems um, which are solvable by one of those 20 algorithms. So I'll just, I'll go through them with you. Um, So the first one is, what do you, it's an algorithm, a single algorithm that is the combination of std iota and std std transform, or in Thrust land, actually, well, you know, but yeah, Thrust sequence uh, plus uh, Thrust transform. So there's one algorithm that was renamed in Thrust um, from the C++ standard algorithms, and that was IOTA. We renamed it to Sequence. So no, if you combine... No, 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 I am almost... Uh, no, we've talked about this before. We, you, we you, talked you, about this you, literally you, when Sean was on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm almost certain that this was independent origin. Like I'd have to go I, check I with the original with the original author, but I'm I'm pretty certain you know IOTA was in Alex Stepanov's STL, but not in the standard library until eleven. And Thrust added sequence, which is the equivalent of IOTA, um, you know, before IOTA was a thing in C But I'm fairly certain that sequence that it was not an intentional renaming; it was just you know sequence was just the name that was it was it was it Jared was it Jared Hoberoff yeah, that. Yeah. Uh... You think we could we could just we should just have him on? Um, he'd be interesting to talk to about initially writing thrust if he wants to come on. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, have you figured out what do you get when you combine iota and transform? A single thrust algorithm. 
And when you combine, well, what 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 are the what are the semantics of this algorithm? So it's an algorithm that basically, given a range and a unary function object, typically in the form of a lambda, it will basically fill the values in that specified range uh, with the unary operation applied to each of the indices that correspond to that range starting at zero. Oh yeah. Um I don't know which one I'm I'm vaguely familiar with this pattern. Uh but no, I don't know which one it is. The answer, and if so if anyone is listening and was playing along, the answer is an algorithm called thrust tabulate. That's right. Yeah. Tabulate. Which I I think is awesome because I knew that algorithm I knew the name and I knew it existed, but I had no idea what it did. And I did not think that's what it did at all, uh, but I think that's pretty. Um, I think that's pretty cute because uh, it is. Um, it's a very actually common thing to do in APL, where you use iota to generate a list of numbers, and then you do some transformation to get what you actually want. So, like, I go on to show an example of generating the first um, ten odd numbers, which uh, you could do a number of ways in C plus plus. You could do it with like a generate n, or you could do it with an iota and then a transform. But you can do it in a single line with uh, tabulate by just passing it a unary. A function object like a lambda that just goes uh, times two plus one. I feel like we may have talked about it on a past episode. Tabulate? Definitely not, because I had I have I had no idea what tabulate did uh, one week or two weeks ago when I was preparing for the talk. And because um, uh, yeah, the it it's just implemented as transform with a counting iterator. Yep, that would yeah. make sense. Um, yeah. And I could have sworn we talked about it because we talked about how it's one of the, you know, I think I thought we talked about it because it's an example of, you know, one of the many thrust algorithms that are just implemented in terms of other thrust algorithms. Um, But uh, so actually, interestingly, because of that, it means that it's fairly, or because of how it's implemented in thrust, which is with a counting iterator and thrust transform, it's super easy to express in C plus plus twenty with ranges because it's just a um, a transform yep. with an iota view. Yep, yep, yep. Exactly. Yeah. And and for those of that that aren't familiar, uh, counting iterator is one of the fancy iterators in Thrust, um, which are super useful. And I'm surprised they're actually not more prevalent in sort of C plus plus. A counting iterator basically can be used in replacement of a std iota where you don't really actually need to construct the range. But I'm not sure that's actually the best way to explain it. Is that how, how would you explain what a counting iterator is? Well, so, so, so um, the first thing to understand about a counting iterator is counting iterator is one of like a class of iterators where um, it do, it's not an iterator to any actual underlying data. It's an, it's an iterator that will like synthesize um, uh, artificial data. And in the case of a counting iterator, what it synthesizes is a range of numbers. Um, so that range of numbers isn't actually stored in memory anywhere. It gets created um, on the fly as it's needed. And so in the case of a counting iterator, it, it, it synthesizes the range of, of, of um, uh, you know, like whole numbers, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, etc. Right. Right, and it's it's incredible. Like all of the fancy iterators are incredibly useful, uh, especially because like one of the weaknesses of C plus plus algorithms is when you just you just want to uh, use an algorithm over a range of numbers without constructing a container, um, and that's exactly what counting iterator can be used for. Um, or 
uh, a super useful iterator that we've built into the libqdf in, in Rapids is a counting transform iterator, which is basically just the combination of a, a counting iterator and a transform iterator. Um, because a lot of times you you want something that's not just, you know, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Uh, you want, you know, every second odd number or whatever. Um, and so you need a counting transform iterator. Anyways, enough about iterators because we need to get to the the next two problems. So thrust tabulate. I was, I was just I was just I was just doing the research to make sure that my uh, uh, that I'm not incorrect here, um, and I'm yeah that I, I'm I'm almost hundred percent certain that I'm I'm correct that we explicitly do say in the standard that uh, forward iterator is required for the parallel algorithms. Um, now a lot of implementations in practice, like our implementation at NVIDIA in practice only really works with random access. Um, uh, MSVCs does work with forward, but nobody, nobody, I think actually works with input iterators. And I, I seem to recall that there was, there was a, a, some other problem related to ranges recently where I think it was with maybe split, um, where, um, uh, there was some view in ranges that produced iterators of a category that was not sufficiently strong to actually be useful. The, the superior string splitting paper from Barry. Oh, yes. We will link that in the, um, in the show notes. <laughs> Why did I just go Australian there for? <laughs> All right, problem number two. Problem how, number do two. You, how do you, um, what algorithm can you use to copy every second element? From a range. Second element. And this is a, I think this is a fantastic question, if I don't say so myself. Um, I think I may actually know the answer to this one. Gather? Boom. Boom. Yes, gather. Thrust yeah. gather is the answer. So some of you might have been thinking copy if, uh, but the thing about copy if is that copy if um, you could actually technically uh, in the non-parallel case have a mutating lambda with a, uh, a, a a boolean flag that you're sort of toggling. You could get that to work, but the thing is is that a copy if takes a unary predicate. And typically that's applied to your elements and the elements that return true for that unary predicate get copied. But what if you just want to do something not based on some predicate, but just based on indices? Um, that is exactly what thrust gather is for. So gather is provided uh, an input range, an output range, and uh, a gather map, which is basically a set of indices um, that uh, are going to be the ones that are copied or sort of gathered from uh, your input range. And it's interesting because this algorithm name was one of the sort of famous algorithms that Sean Parent shows in his original C++ seasoning talk, um, which is actually the combination of two stable partitions. Um, and the example he uses is sort of highlighting emails and then gathering them to a single point. Uh, but we have uh, reused that name for this. And it's uh, got a sibling algorithm called scatter, but we're not going to talk about that. Problem number three, or do you want to make any comments about gather before we move I, on? To I, the, I, the I just want to note for the record, I got that one. That <laughs> <laughs> so we're one one for two. Can <laughs> Bryce. Val validating that I am not all thin air. 
<laughs> Will he be one for three or two for three? That is the question we are about to answer. Um, did I just come off as super Canadian there with my about? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> You've uh, tried to come off as, as Australian <laughs> earlier. So coming off as Canadian seems fine. Let us know when we tweet this out, um, when this episode comes out, if uh, what I just realized I said the word about, <clears throat> and I wasn't sure if it was a Canadian or American. Question number three. Um, this is one of my favorite problems. It's called Maximum Consecutive Ones, MCO. Uh, so you're given a sequence of ones and zeros, and you want to determine the maximum sequence of contiguous ones, uh, what the length of that maximum sequence is. Um, so technically, in Thrust, uh, you need um, two algorithms to solve this. So you know what? If you get this one right, we're going to give... We're, this one's worth two points, if you get it why right. If not, need, Why do you need two algorithms to solve this? Um, well, if you can come up with a single solution, uh, or a, a, a solution that just uses a single algorithm, um, go for it. But I, I only know one that, I'm, a solution I'm that... I'm thinking you could do it in a single pass with a scan, maybe. Or like a, like a, uh, uh, a reduction, but I don't, I don't think that'll actually work with a reduction. Um, I mean... If it works with a scan, it'll work with a reduction, right? Because in this case, we're just reducing down to a single number, and a scan is just a reduction with the um, incremental results output as well. Yeah. So, like, the, a property of a scan is that the final value is always the answer of the equivalent reduction. Um, but but the other... the A property that you get from the... the um... From a scan that you don't get from a reduction is that the inform you always get information f coming from the left that gets incorporated into your partial result. With a reduction, it all all the information is incorporated, but you don't necessarily know as much about the ordering. Whereas for a scan, anyways, I I I, I digress here. Um, right, yeah, that does make sure sense. That. that does make sense. What you just said. Though. I'm not sure whether you can do it. With single pass, but okay. So, so, so you're saying two algorithms. You want to count the number of. Um, why would you need two algorithms? Hmm. I don't know. Enlighten me. Uh, the key algorithm that you need is a segmented algorithm, aka reduce oh, by key. Reduce by key. Okay. I'm surprised. I'm surprised actually you didn't get this one because this is a modified version of a um, problem that I talked about in my first talk, Algorithm Intuition, called Dangerous Teams, where you want to identify... Yeah, so anyways, the, the, the problem is a modified version of maximum consecutive ones. And then you came up to me after the talk, uh, I think the first time I gave it back in like January of 2019 um, at the C++ Bay Area user group, and you pointed out like, oh, I think you can just solve that one problem with a reduce by key. And I didn't know what reduce by key was at the time. And I said, hmm, I'm not sure. Uh, and then later on, sure enough, that was the case. Um, so basically a reduce by key by default is going to do basically segmented reductions. So reductions on different segments of your range. Mm. And it determines those segments by whether or not um, they're basically uh, keys are equal to each other. So you... Uh, have two input sequences. 
One's a sequence of keys and one's a sequence of values. For the purposes of solving this problem, we can just pass our range of ones and zeros as both the keys and the values. And then it's gonna determine the segments by um, adjacent equal elements. So in this case, the segments will be all contiguous ones and then all contiguous zeros, then all contiguous ones. And your output keys will end up being just like one, zero, one, zero, one, zero. And the default reduction on each of those segments is a plus reduction. But I believe uh, you can um, overload and pass in custom uh, binary uh, comparators for the segment determination and then also a, a, a custom binary operation for the reduction. Um, so it's a super, super powerful, and there's 12 different segmented algorithms. There's inclusive and exclusive scan uh, by keys, unique by keys, sort by keys. Um, it's this whole uh, land of algorithms that doesn't even exist in the standard algorithm library, but is super, and, and super And so what's useful. the second one? That, what's the second pass that you So once, once you've done the reduce by key, you basically have uh, two output ranges. In my example, I show that we can just throw away the ones and zero keys. So you can just use a discard iterator, which is another fancy iterator in Thrust. Um, but you, you do want the plus reduced uh, contiguous values, and that's going to be in an output range. And so then you just need to do a max element um, on your output range. Uh, to get the maximum of those of those plus reductions on the segments. So in the example I show, you have uh, one 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 zero, and then one 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 one. So three ones, a zero, and then four ones. So the, your resulting uh, plus reductions on the segments are going to be three zero and four, and then you just do a max element on that, dereference it to get the maximum of your. So it, re it reminds ranges. me a lot of of the parallel word count example. The parallel word count. Yeah, the um, parallel word count where you where you do it with the transform reduce um, that takes uh, two inputs and and then you have a binary um, uh, a binary transform that looks at you know two different characters and determines whether whether it's at the whether it's at the beginning of the next word. So what is that algorithm doing? It's just basically so, yeah. creating a histogram. Okay, of so, the... so 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 what you want to do? You want to count the maximum length of run, of a of a run of the single element, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can, you can do this in a single pass. Um, uh, okay, so uh, given two elements that are adjacent to each other, you can write a function that um, uh, returns whether or not um, it's the end of a run. Correct. Correct. Um, okay, so that's your tr that's your transform function. Um, uh, mm, all right, so 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 with that we can detect the end of a run. Now all we need is a way to detect the length of that run, and that's where I think you might you might need the scan. Um, if you can get, if you can, if you can write a function like that, which, um, uh, gives you, yeah, if you can, if you can write some sort of reduction function, which returns, um, zero, if it's in the middle of a run and if it's at the, or, or returns some, 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 um, sentinel value that maybe has metadata, if you're in the middle of a run and it returns um, uh, some special value that says, hey, this is the end of the run, and 
um, uh, the length of the run. Um, and then you can reduce over that. Um, uh, and that's, that's still a single pass because you can do a transform reduce and a single pass. And that reduction can just be like a, a max function. So um, wait, though, I still, uh, I need clarification. Uh, your parallel word count at the end of the day is returning you what? Just the word, like it's just the number of words in a string? Yes, yeah. So you have you start off with a single string, but then you create uh, two ranges by doing the zip tail. So basically you're looking at adjacent elements. Um, but like I'm confused on why, like isn't the simplest way to solve this problem just to count like the number of spaces? Yeah, you know that, that that's what it's doing. I'm I'm just using that as an example of like like that that that's that's the. I I I think that you can write this as some form of a transform inclusive scan or transform reduce. Let's put it this way: you can definitely do this as a single pass in in serial, right? Because what what you do is in serial, like if it's if this is just a fold, um, if you're not worried about parallelism, then your uh, what it's just like a reduction where you accumulate, you know, you, you keep count of how many repetitive elements I've had. And then when I find a new one, um, uh, I reset the count. Um, uh, and then like you, like at that, when you find that new one and reset the count, that, that, um, uh, like you, you give a special mark to that, to that, um, so, so I, I think I know exactly what you're trying to communicate. And this is actually, this gets highlighted in the second section of my talk, which is called uh, Thrust Reduce versus Stood Accumulate, and shows an example of um, how do you sum up the even numbers in a list. Yeah. And exactly what you just said, when you're doing this in serial, uh, there's no accumulate if or reduce if in C++. So to do this with a single algorithm, you can basically do a Stood Accumulate, and then inside your custom, uh, you know, lambda, you can basically bake in the predicate of checking whether it's even, and if so, uh, adding to your accumulator parameter um, the value. Otherwise, just add zero. But in when when porting this to a parallel algorithm, whether that's uh, std reduce in C plus plus seventeen or thrust reduce, um, you can't do this because you need the associative and commutative requirements yeah. on your binary operation. So the way to do this is. Many times when you have a serial uh, algorithm that's using an accumulate, you need to upgrade to a transform reduce where the transform is going to be factoring out that unary operation. Uh, in the case of the sum even elements, you're factoring out the is it even. So your, your unary operation is going to be um, if it's even, just return the value. Uh, otherwise, uh, zero it out. And then you can do a parallel reduction uh, a plus reduction on those zeros and even elements. So for your string example, it's the exact same thing. You have a vector of characters representing a string. You first transform all of those characters either to a one if you're a space and a zero if you're a non-space, and then just do a plus reduction on all those spaces and you're done. Yeah. There's a trickier way to do it with like adjacent elements, um, but the easiest way, um, pending that there's not some like case where you have some sort of justified string and there's extra spaces, obviously that won't work. Um, but in that case, that's where you would use some sort of transform reduce where you do the zip tail trick. So pass it uh, the range from zero to n minus one and one to n. And then you, you, you just always want to check whenever you have a character on the left and a space on the right. 
and that's yeah. the end of a word and count those. Yeah. So um, that's where you could basically transform all of those versions in like whenever you have a character on the left space on the right, that's a one, everything else is a zero, then do your plus reduction, which is, I think what you were explaining. Yeah. Yeah. But, but okay. So, so, so the, so the answer, your answer to that question is you do a, you do a reduce by key and then what do you do? Uh, a max element. So basically you're doing two reduces. Correct. Uh, yeah. Segmented reduction and then uh, yeah. reduction reduction. So we'll give, I'm going to give Bryce a point for that because he actually got it right in the past. Um, even though he's, he's... <laughs> I'm still pretty, I'm, I'm like fairly convinced that you can find a way to express that in a single, a single pass and a single algorithm. Potentially, potentially. Well, let's, let's leave it to the listeners. Yeah. Listeners, um, if you can come up with a single algorithm to do that, I would be super curious. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great day.